Well, we're going to start our series, You Asked For It. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. If you did not come with a Bible today, a couple of you are going to make Bibles available. Just give them a wave and uh, it'll be on page, I think, 753 of the Red Church Bible. Your choice to follow Jesus and to be a part of the church is not like other decisions you make or like other organizations you support. For example, today, if you go for lunch, let's say at Red Robin, I can't remember the last time I was at Red Robin, but as I recall, it's still good. Let's say you go to Red Robin today. Your only obligation at lunch uh, would be to pay for your meal. You're not expected to prepare the meal, to clean up. You don't even have to eat it if you don't want to. You don't have to be loyal to Red Robin through the week. You make no commitment to study the menu each morning. You, you don't raise your children to love the restaurant necessarily. You sit down, you order, you eat, you pay, you leave, done. But when you trusted Jesus for salvation, it's different. You put Jesus in charge of your whole life. Every aspect. And as a believer in Jesus, you count on the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, to direct you in everything. How you manage money. How you raise your kids, where you go to college. You know, your life is a 24-7 representation of Jesus. And therefore, everything matters. Everything points back to your relationship with Him. It's not a contractual arrangement as if Jesus saves you in exchange for, you know, a minimum of 48 Sunday mornings a year and a minimum of 12 Sunday school classes and a VBS week. Okay, I got all my check boxes in. No, it's not like that. How you speak, how you play baseball, how you do your work, how you conduct yourself in relationships, how you, how you study at school. It all comes under the leadership and the lordship and the direction of Jesus, your Lord and your older brother. But not only did you trust your life to Jesus, you became a part of Jesus' body, the church. Your salvation is not just for your own benefit. Your faith in Christ is meant to benefit all of us. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, is going to help us understand this a little bit. It's a short passage, but it has this amazing progression in it from trusting Jesus to baptism to life in Christ's body, the church. Now, we don't uh, go ahead and as you're finding that, you know, I'll say this. We don't know who wrote Hebrews. Um, There's speculation about that, but we just don't know. It's it's a letter or or a circular that would have been passed around. And it digs deep. The whole book digs deep into the kind of the explanation of how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament law and the Old Testament law and the practice of that law. And and at length, the author explains how Jesus is both sacrifice and priest. In that because of Jesus Christ, we have access to the saving mercy and grace of God. We talked a little bit about that last week or a couple weeks ago. Hebrews is, is a remarkably logical book. If you'll just kind of follow it chapter by chapter, and uh, it's made even more clear by, by uh, a contemporary translation, I think, like the New Living Translation. In fact... The reason why I switched over to the New Living Translation a number of years ago is because I read Hebrews and I read Romans and I finally understood them. And I thought, okay, that's enough 
uh, for me. So they're not um, perfect translations in every way, but uh, it really helped me grasp this book. And it's a marvelous, marvelous book. So we're going to pause here and read Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 19. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word, as is our pattern now at Bethany Church. Hebrews 10, 19 says, And so, brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep His promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. We thank the Lord for His Word. Let's be seated together. Okay, so um, we've come up with kind of a cool way to do this, I think, um, for the nerds in the room. We're going to use a little chart today to, to block this whole thing. out. We're going to, we're going to break it into three parts. And um, starting in verses 19 to 22, what we're talking about here is salvation. That's in your outline as well. Starting with salvation. You know, sometimes we read a Bible passage and it's it's a little bit of a challenge to really connect the dots between my life right now and what's in the word. Um, You know, maybe you're struggling today with a broken relationship or you've got some financial stress or your kids are mad at you or you're mad at your kids (laughs) or um, or you need a job or a couple of you. I know you need a house because you sold your houses and. You need a place to live. Um, and so all that's going on and you find it hard even to just to just to concentrate on what's going on right here or even right now. But I want to tell you this, whatever you're facing today, this writer is reminding you. That because of Jesus, we boldly enter his presence We boldly enter his presence. That's the starting point. That's the place of salvation where we come to Jesus. But you've got to catch this. It's us up to us. It's up to you and me. It's up to the individual to enter his presence. Jesus has, as the writer puts here, opened a new and life-giving way. But that still means it's up to you and me to step in. For example, if you were to invite someone for dinner to your home, right? They arrive, they ring their doorbell, and what do you do? You open the door, right? You don't just leave them standing up there. You open the door. Now, you open the door to the friends that you invited in. Do you bring the food out to their car? Do you spread it out on the front lawn for them just to help themselves? Right? Do you drag them kicking and screaming against their will across the threshold to the dinner table? No. You open the door, but it's up to your guest to step in. And join your fellowship with you. Salvation is a personal decision. No one decides for you. And yes, there is a decision point. You don't just morph into a Christian by hanging around the church. 
You decide, am I going to follow Jesus as the Lord and leader of my life or not? Being born into a church family doesn't cut it. Going to church or going to confession or taking communion, that doesn't do it. That doesn't make you a Christian. You're only saved by a choice, a decision to trust Jesus Christ, to take your sin and open the door to God's presence for you. And in that doing so, you trust him to lead every part of your life. So it's a personal decision. Now, here's the cool part. You choose, but Jesus does the work. You make the choice, but Jesus does the work. Here's what he does. He saves and he advocates for you. Look at verse 20 again. It says, by his death, Jesus opened a new and life giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Well, what does that mean? Well, it's a reference to the temple, which is simply a copy of what's in heaven. And in the Jewish temple, there was a large curtain or veil that separated off a portion of the, of the temple. And then behind that curtain was called the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. And that's where God was present. That, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. And only the high priest had access At the moment of Jesus' death on the cross, the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all tell us that at the moment of his death, that curtain was torn in two. It was ripped open. It was ripped apart, exposing the most holy place, that area that before only the priests had seen. Sometimes in our music, we will have that phrase or a reference to a veil. That's usually what it's referring to. There's a song, uh, At the Cross, uh, sings, you tore the veil, you made a way when you said that it is done. That's the reference. It's referring to that moment at the cross when the curtain was torn. So by his torn body, and we celebrated the broken body of Christ this morning, by his torn body, Jesus created access for you and for me into the very presence of God. Jesus himself becomes the torn veil. Now, Jesus saves He continues to advocate for you and me as well. Because we still sin. We still need a representative for us. And we still need his priestly work. Now, the role of a priest is to represent God to the people and to represent the people to God. That's why in 1 Peter 2.9, it says that you all, we believers, are a, quote, royal priesthood. We are the people of God. We are the priests of God representing God to the world and representing the world to God, representing God to your friends and representing your friends to God, representing God to your neighbors, your co-workers, your fellow students, your children, your parents, whoever it is in your life, and bringing them in prayer back to God. That's our role. Earlier in Hebrews in chapter 6, we got this one on screen. It says this, Therefore, We who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest. Eternal high priest. He has already Gone in there for us. New New International Version says he has entered on our behalf. Jesus advocates for you before the Father. He is your representative. I mean, right now, just think about how amazing this is. Right now, this moment, Jesus advocates for you with the Father. He's already made the sacrifice for your sin, all sin, past, present, and future. 
And if you're trusting him for forgiveness and you're trusting him for righteousness, he represents you before God. You have nothing to worry about and you live with a clean conscience when you trust him. Now, we've already talked about this, how when you're when you're trusting in God's grace, your appetites begin to change. The things that you're drawn to want to change. You want to leave behind and, and, and reject those things in your life where you get mired up in sin. But Jesus says, oh, Father, Brian, he trusts me. He, he's counting on my blood to, to cleanse him. I've already paid for his sin, Father. He has access to you. In fact, here he is now, boldly entering your presence. And the Father says, Welcome. Do you see how that works? And then the rest of verse 22, it says, Our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. It's not your good behavior or my good behavior. It's the work of Jesus. Nothing that you've done and nothing that's been done to you can overwhelm the blood of Christ. There's nothing at which Jesus says, Oh, no, I can't forgive that. His blood covers it all. Jesus is on your side. And that leads to the next part of our, our little chart here, the second column, on baptism. That's the reference in verse 22 when he talks about bodies washed with pure water, baptism. Salvation is a personal decision, but salvation is not a private decision. Do you get this? Salvation is personal, but it's not private. Baptism is a public commitment. Baptism is a public commitment. We baptize openly for people to see. The Bible's teaching in baptism is pretty simple. Repent, that is, turn from your, your sin and your self-saving way of living. Right? Trust in Jesus for forgiveness. Depend on him as the Lord and leader of your life. And be baptized on that confession of your faith. Now, some say, well, I don't need to be baptized to be a, a Christian. I don't need to be baptized to be saved. And technically, that's true. At least that's how I understand it. But that would be like getting married and refusing to wear the wedding ring. You know, aside from a, a dangerous workplace situation or something, my, my wife typically can't wear her ring as a nurse. And um, makes, I always feel a little like, oh, I, I wish you could wear your ring at work. Um, there's no good reason for me not to wear this ring. In fact, there's a lot of bad reasons for me not to wear this ring, right? There's no good reason for me not to wear this ring. And so um, maybe you say, well, I'm just not ready to be baptized. And I, I would just say, don't, don't make baptism about you or about your feelings. If your faith is in Jesus and you can identify that your faith is in Jesus, you're ready and Around here, we typically say about age 12 or older is a good point at which you can have a good grasp on some of that sort of abstract nature of salvation and baptism. And I think that's a good place to, to begin. The biblical pattern is repent and be baptized. Romans chapter 6 explains it, that, that our old nature, our old person is dead and buried in baptism, laid down into the grave and raised up again. Why die to your old self and then drag the corpse around? Bury it in baptism. And then verse 23 continues on. He says, and let us hold tightly. That tells me there will always be forces pulling me away, pulling me away from the truth, pulling me away from the hope of 
salvation, pulling me away from my new life in Christ. There's always a pull away from that. He's hold tightly. Without wavering to the hope you affirm. And so my part in this is to proclaim, that's what I do through baptism, and to hold tightly to the truth of the gospel, to hold tightly to hope. So we proclaim and we hold tightly. And I think this is just more crucial than it's ever been. All right, let's jump to that third column there. We're going to talk about church membership. Now we call this, or let's call this community life. Community life. We're saved, baptized, and now we're part of this new community, the church. Verses 24 and 25 help us to see that being a Christian is not just Jesus and me. Right? Let us, even verse 23, let us hold tightly. Verse 24, let us be trusted, um, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Uh, Let us not neglect our meeting together as some have done. Encourage one another, he goes on to say. It's it's what we would call a corporate expression, a a group expression. We see it visibly in the group. The gospel really only makes sense when lived out with others. The gospel really only makes sense lived out with other people. And I, I think some traditions tend to overemphasize, you know, the personal aspect of faith. Well, it's just kind of between me and the Lord. No, it's you're missing out on the benefit of the whole body. It's it's me and the Lord and all of you. Together. And it's it's hard to do that in a, in a large setting like this, right? Uh, you know, if there's 200 people in the room. I not only will not talk to probably more than 10 or 20 of you on a. Sunday morning, but in the course of a year, I won't get to talk to every person in this room. So we're not engaged in any kind of meaningful relationship. You probably feel like you know me better than than I know you because I stand here and tell you stories about my kids and my marriage and and my own mistakes. And I get that. That's why it's so crucial that we have smaller settings with which to gather with other people. Sometimes men with men, women with women, sometimes in blended groups, across ages, doesn't really matter. It's some smaller places where we get to know other people in a real way, where we get to be honest with each other, where we can say, I'm going to take off the mask now and let you see what I really look like. And I'm going to have to trust you that you're not going to laugh at me or, or spread my dirty laundry all over the place. Like um, Stephen shared with us last week there um, in one of our sessions with him, you know, the church, when it started, essentially essential activities of the early church. You can read Acts chapter 2, 42. They gathered in large settings and they gathered in homes. Large group, small group together. That's the biblical pattern of the church. I'm always baffled when when people resist a church membership, and I'm, I'm not here to beat anybody on the head or anything, but we've got no problem with membership at Costco or Netflix or, you know, membership on the baseball team or in a hobby club. We happily sign up for Facebook or Pinterest. 
I don't sign up for Pinterest because that's for ladies. But um, I was kidding. I've looked at it once or twice. Okay. We have membership in all these places. Why, why are we so afraid of church membership? What are, we, what are we afraid of? What scares us about that? Well, some say, well, there's no church membership in the Bible. Fair enough. There's no, uh, I don't see a membership class offered in the Bible. But I think there's church membership in the Bible. On the very day the church started, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came, Peter preached, People respond to the gospel and it says, and 3,000 were baptized and added to the church that day. That means somebody was keeping track. That somebody means somebody was counting. Somebody had a record of some kind. I, I'd like to think, I don't know if they wrote those names down, but I, I they think they probably did. Church membership lets me say, this is my community. This is my, this is my home. This is my my team, this is where I belong. Church membership lets me be added to the church. After all, this is where I worship and I serve and I give and I raise my kids. It only makes sense. And no, membership is obviously not required to attend and worship. And you're no better a person if you're a member. And you're no lesser of a person if you're not. This is not a matter of your value. This is not a a two-tier system it doesn't make you a better Christian to be a member. It's not what I'm saying at all. But membership shows a level of investment that says, I, I'm submitted to the body of Christ here. I'm accountable here. This is my, this is my place. Now, Bethany is a, is a Mennonite Brethren church. If you're, if you're a guest with us or fairly new here, you may or may not know this. Bethany is a Mennonite Brethren church. It's a denomination. And Mennonites are something called a part of a larger division called Anabaptists. Anabaptist means we baptize believers. We don't baptize babies. And we baptize on confession of faith. When you say, I believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin, he's the Lord of my life. That's how we baptize. Now, infant baptism, um, I think, may have been a wonderful gesture by your parents. But it's not baptism as the Bible teaches it. And, you know, what the Bible teaches is a core value for us here. Actually, Anabaptist is from a Latin word and, and literally means again baptized. Because when the Anabaptists started, they were dealing with people who had all been baptized as infants. Now, here's just a really cool side language thing. I'm going to sort of butcher the languages for a moment because I think this is kind of neat. Baptize in Greek. And I can't talk about this without thinking about the movie My Big Fat Greek Wedding. It's from the Greek. Give me a word. Any word I'll tell you is from the Greek, right? Baptize, baptizo, means to immerse. And ana, and I know we're talking about Latin, but in Hebrew, ana means grace or favor. So I like to think of anabaptism as grace immersion. The, the, the division of the boundary between Jew and Gentile, bringing God's people together. Anyway. The last couple of verses here give us an idea of what the church does and what we do for each other in the church. We motivate and encourage. Verse 24 reminds us to motivate one another or your translation might say spur one another on to love and good deeds. I don't want to ever be a horse because uh, 
Cowboys wear spurs. It's meant to get you moving. Right? Verse 25 reminds us to keep meeting together, to keep encouraging one another in an increasingly hostile cultural climate, knowing that Jesus is returning soon. And it's not a guilt trip to say, oh, you got to go to church. It's an invitation to, to live out our life together. We need one another. The Bible has no successful examples of solo believers. Do you know that? There's no successful examples that I can find in the Bible of solo believers. So to be a believer is to be the church. Sometimes gathered in a big group like now. Sometimes scattered throughout your city. Maybe in a home group or a Sunday school class or a quilting club or even a baseball team. The point is that our meeting together is meant to motivate and encourage one another. We all have good intentions, right? But we get self-absorbed and we tend to drift away from what he calls acts of love and good deeds. Notice he doesn't say motivate one another to, to, to stronger obedience. Motivate one another to try harder. No, it's motivate one another to acts of love and good deeds. Those are very appealing, attractive things to the world. And we can get discouraged by what we see around us. We need motivation and encouragement. And that's what we get from each other when we gather. I'm going to finish with just one, last, one little example of this. Janice already mentioned the fun in the sun thing on Friday nights. Um, this past Friday evening, so our youth department initiated this youth activity, open and invited to the church and to the neighborhood. There was a volleyball net set up and hot dogs and music and ping pong and foosball and a slip and slide. And they'll do that again. How many more Fridays? Two, three, two more, three more. And to be honest, I didn't want to go. It's Friday. It's my day off. It's it's hot. I live more than 20 minutes away. It's my day off. I don't think I'd even taken a shower that day yet. Becky was at work. Uh, I wasn't sure that anybody else would show up. So to be supportive, I went. Right? Well, I show up. A bunch of people there. We're all having a good time. Music's playing. You know, spending time with God's people is always a good thing. It's always a good thing to be with God's people. A few conversations, a hot dog, a little volleyball. I left motivated and encouraged. That's the function of the body. So good job. All right, so salvation. I want you to know, Jesus is with you right now, right this moment, whatever you're dealing with this week, whatever you're facing, whatever decisions you have to make, whatever needs you have, He is with you at this moment. He invites you to join Him in the presence of God, in that most holy place. He says, come on in, I've made the way. I've opened the door. Enter. Baptism, that's, that's our part, to proclaim our faith. And then hold tightly to it. Cling to that hope that God's given you. And then finding community life. That's what we do together. Encouraging and motivating one another. It's a good thing that we're in this together. It really is. That's good news. Let's stand together as we close in prayer.
Father, I, I can't say thank you enough that you didn't somehow just leave us on our own to figure it out, to figure out how to reach you, how to, how to have a clean conscience, how to approach you. You made the way. You've provided the way for us to have a clean conscience, to be righteous, to be able to come to you. You've provided a way for us to to proclaim that, to, to know that we're washed clean. And you've provided a place for us to live that out with one another in the church. I'm really, really thankful. And Lord, left to my own devices, I, I don't do well. I need you and I need your people. And I ask God that you would even seal that in our own hearts and lives today. Church, is your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I want to give you the opportunity. Maybe you're a person here today who you have never trusted Jesus for salvation. You've never taken that first step of letting Jesus forgive you and make you right with Him. And I'd love for you to have that opportunity today to say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ today. Well, these things you're talking about, being a part of the church, that's what I want. If that's you, I would just invite you to just discreetly raise your hand and make eye contact with me. I'd love for us to have the opportunity to pray through that together. Anybody like that today, you would say, I want to give my life to Jesus. All right. In church, uh, for the rest of us, um, there are just a couple of items of decision. Maybe the Lord's just prompting you to, to follow through on baptism or membership. Maybe you've just pulled away and you're just you're here but you're emotionally not here. Guys, the Holy Spirit's just prompting you to, to re-engage, to reconnect, to let yourself be known by some people, to get to know somebody. To to be a part of community life. I want to do that. Jesus, we're just really grateful that you're here with us by your spirit. And we praise you in Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.